the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 38 of Magic Markets and Mo and I are looking forward to doing something a little bit different tonight, which I think is going to be really interesting. Mo, welcome all the way from Canada. Ghost, always a pleasure being on the show. Um, also excited about, you know, just doing something different with this week's show. Um, so yeah, let's let's get cracking. I think we've got a lot to get through and also we'll be keen to hear what our listeners think about this, you know, once they've had a listen to the episode. Yeah, so the idea is we each went away and thought about two companies that we wanted to speak about tonight, uh, all four US listed. And we haven't really told each other what they are. We kind of alluded to it earlier, but I mean, neither of us has gone and done any digging on the other one's choices. Importantly, these are not stock picks. The stocks we choose here are not because we think you should run out and buy them. One of mine I like and I have bought. Uh, the other one I haven't. And, and Mo, you'll be able to fill everyone in on, on that from your side. But what we've done is we've each just chosen two companies that we think are interesting and worth talking about. Both of us have a passion for um, for stock picking at the end of the day, in addition to everything else, and especially with an international flavor. So, Mo, I don't know if you want me to go first. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I think, uh, Ghost, let's let's kick off with you. I think, you know, we, uh, I, I now know what you're going to be talking about, and uh, I certainly think it's, it's a little bit more whimsical than some of the stocks I want to talk about. Maybe we should just tell the listeners what those stocks are at the, uh, at the onset, and then we can get into each individual kind of discussion. Yeah, perfect. So as it turned out, mine actually has a theme, but I didn't think about it until I mentioned to you what the two are. So one is Corsair, which is a gaming, hardware and peripherals kind of business. I wrote about it an article this week and, and those who have checked their ghost mail would have seen that article. Uh, and I love the gaming theme long term. I've written about it several times before. And the other one is Callaway Golf, just because it's really interesting. And, you know, South Africans, we love our sport. And uh, golf has been one of the unusual winners of the pandemic, actually, which very few people would have maybe called a year ago. So I think it's been uh, it's been a really interesting story. Um, and I'm basically buying into Corsair tomorrow. Um, so by the time people listen to this, it will be in the portfolio already, just because I need the funds to clear. And Callaway, I won't be buying, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Uh, Mo, what are yours? Yeah, so so my my theme also, I guess, ended up themed, but uh, you know, not intentionally, uh, and a little bit less lighthearted and whimsical than, than yours, I would say. My, mine is in the healthcare sector. Uh, you know, the first one is is one that's topical because of COVID. It's Moderna. It's one I've spoken about on the show before. And, you know, I'll, I'll get into the nuts and bolts of that. And the reason I think it's topical, I think we should speak about it, is that the share price has just gone parabolic. Uh, when we first mentioned it on Magic Markets, it was trading around $100, which is when I bought it and owned it. Uh, I got out somewhere along this journey, much lower down where it is now. Uh, but over the course of the last couple of trading sessions, the stock got within a whisker of $500 a share. That's a five-bagger. And so I think it's, it's definitely worth looking at. Uh, the other, also in the healthcare sector, but 
diametrically opposed to Moderna in the sense that Moderna's a brand new company growth stock. The other stock I'm looking at is McKesson. And McKesson is the largest distributor of pharmaceuticals medical products in the United States. Uh, and the reason I said diametrically opposed is that it is an old company. It is a value type of stock. Very different types of dynamics. Also has had a phenomenal year so far. A stock currently off its, uh, its, its recent highs uh, post earnings. Uh, let's get into it. I think let's kick off with, with gaming. Let's go with you first, Ghost. Something lighthearted, then we'll come across to me and then maybe back to you again and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I like the gaming theme. It really accelerated enormously over the pandemic. People were forced to stay home and, and stay safe and they needed to stay entertained as well. And they resorted to virtual entertainment because obviously that was the safest way to do it and, and everyone was stuck at home. So as broadband access increases globally and people are looking for more and more escapism, which I think is unfortunately a reality of, uh, of our daily lives and the stresses we face, you know, ongoing digitalization of our lives means that gaming has got great fundamentals in my opinion. Now, many of the companies in this space are trading at very lofty multiples and it's very difficult to pick winners, I think. Now, the one challenge I have is that I am not a gamer myself. I long for the day when I have time to even contemplate having a hobby like that again. So I have to rely on on just, I suppose, common sense. And luckily, my brother's quite a serious gamer, so I get to chat to him about this stuff from time to time. So there are three ETFs that people can buy. They have tickers Hero, Nerd, I mean, you can't make the stuff up, and ESPO, ESPO, <laughs> which is for eSports. Um, and honestly, the differentiation between the three is just their level of exposure to China, which has become pretty topical lately, let's face it. So... Is obviously mobile gaming, consoles, PC. You have the companies that publish the games. You have companies that build the, the chips and the hardware and all that kind of stuff. And then you have the company that I want to talk about tonight, which is Corsair. It only went public in September 2020, so it kind of IPO'd at the right time. Um, it IPO'd at 17 bucks a share. And Mo, we've said many times on this show that IPOs are to be treated with caution because they can run very hard and they can fall very hard straight afterwards. And Corsair IPO'd at the right time. Uh, the share price ran as high as 51 bucks a share. So remember it listed at 17 and it's now down at 28, which I think represents a level at which it has consolidated. So, you know, that kind of silly up and down that a lot of the IPOs had in the past, uh, in past years happened already. And I think why I like it so much is within the theme I often talk about selling the shovels in the gold rush. It's a very cliche saying. But in this case, it's true. So it doesn't matter what game you are playing, whether you're on, you know, on a PC or whatever, you need some basic stuff. If you're a streamer, you know, you're gonna need a headset, you're gonna need all that kind of stuff. I mean, my PC case is a Corsair case because my brother got it built for me and he's a big fan. So I've spoken to a couple of, of gamers and they love the brand. Um, it was mentioned to me by a, t a follower on Twitter. I think he's mentioned it a couple of times before and eventually I thought, okay, let me, let me listen to this guy. Um, let me go and have a look. I had some time and uh, I liked what I saw. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested. I mean, it's not a stock I had heard of until obviously we had spoken about it. Um, and, you know, yes, steering away from, I guess, the, the craziness of the IPO. The fact of the matter is that the stock's been trading now. You've got earnings numbers that have come out. You know, it, it certainly is looking a lot cheaper than the all-time highs that, that, that kind of followed the IPO. Uh, and I was just looking at it and I was saying, you know, on a PE basis, a simple PE basis, it's probably around the, the upper teens versus other stocks in that value chain. So, for example, I, I own Activision Blizzard, for example, and that's trading kind of the low 20s. Uh, I also like gaming as a theme. What, what I'm curious about is that, you know, why 
pick this part of the value chain. I mean, other other avenues of exposure you've indicated. You know, you got the guys who create the games. You've got, you know, I've got stuff in my portfolio like you know semiconductor companies that specialize in the chips that go into graphics cards or the USB interfaces and so forth. What for you? of this particular part of the value chain, before we even go into numbers, because that's more of a macro question, what about this particular part of the value chain appeals to you? Yeah, so that's a great question. So importantly, it's not the only company that I've got in the gaming side. So I also hold AMD, I hold NVIDIA, um, I think I've got Electronic Arts as well. So it's not the only section I would want to hold. I have broad exposure through one of those ETFs. I'm magnificently managed to pick the ETF that has done the worst out of the three, um, but it's still done well. It really is. The, all three have done very well since I bought in. So, you know, if you leave a couple of basis points on the table, but it's up strongly, you're doing okay. And, um, you know, what I like about this one is it's it's different to the others. You know, it's kind of agnostic to the, the chip that you're running, the game that you're playing. They've also got quite a nice slant towards the creator economy, which is something that you and I have learned to understand a lot better because we're kind of both in it ultimately now. And so these are the sort of creator peripherals, silly things like the lights you would use when you're making a video or webcams, that kind of stuff. So there's that element to it, plus there's the, the gaming components themselves. So all of that creates quite an interesting business. It's got a strong brand based on, again, the gamers I've spoken to. And you know me, I can never look at something in isolation of its valuation. And the, the fundamental drivers behind Corsair are very similar to the rest of the gaming businesses. Yet, as you correctly point out, the price earnings ratio is up at teens. I mean, when I worked it out the other day, it was about 18.7x on an EBITDA multiple of 12x. That's not cheap by anyone's normal standards. But in this growth environment, it kind of is actually. It's a bit of a value stock within gaming in the same way that Twitter is something of a value stock within social media. Uh, it, it's also got some really good fundamentals over the last couple of years. Revenue's up 40% KGAR over two years, which is great. Um, there are two operating segments. Gaming components is about 67% of the revenue and the sort of creator peripherals is the rest. A gross margin, which is something I'm, I find very important because I've spent a bit of time in retail, as you know, and it's not easy to get your gross margin up. And without that, you're in big trouble. You're kind of then always just playing catch up on cost cutting further down. And their gross margin is up 870 basis points in the past two years, which is huge. I mean, that's a really big jump. They've managed both their segments. The actual margin in each segment has increased. And on top of that, there's a, a revenue mix reality coming through because the components margins are lower. They run at about 23.8. But the gaming and creator peripherals runs way higher, like 35%. What isn't great is that their operating profit margin hasn't had a great year. And that's because of logistics costs and the impact of lockdown. It hasn't been that easy for manufacturing companies, especially not in this space. But what I do quite like is the company is paying down its debt. I mean, remember, it may be in the tech space, but it's a manufacturing business. So it's got debt. It's got big working capital requirements because it's manufacturing and selling inventory to distributors around the world. You know, this is not the standard kind of tech company, their networking capital requirement is high. It's about 13% of, of annual sales. But you know, this year they'll make EBITDA of about $250 million on an adjusted basis, which is the only kind these tech companies ever know how to report. So they, they do all the cute stuff like strip out stock options and everything else. But anyway, I mean, that's how they all report these days. Um, of around $250 million and uh, they'll have net debt by the end of the year of about $90 million. So the balance sheet's okay. It makes cash flow. It's in a nice fundamental industry and it's on a decent PE. So, you know, all of that added together and it works for me. 
Yeah, I mean, just just one additional question, I guess, before we move on, is that you know you you've indicated the kind of valuation multiple. What does the forward growth look like? You know, so if you look at it, for example, on on on, on a pig type ratio, what does that look like? Uh, and then lastly, you know, what is the protective moat that this company would have over someone else who plays in the space? You know, how how sticky is peripheral usage, how easy it is for competitors to erode that competitive advantage that you see Corsair currently currently having? Yes, I think the moat is as limited as it always is for a brand, I suppose, as opposed to a platform. So this isn't like the Facebooks of this world where the cost of moving is really irritating, etc. I mean, technically, you can go and buy webcams from a variety of manufacturers. It's not really any different to that. So I think the moat is, is not particularly huge. It's a strong brand. They have good products from the people I've spoken to. And that obviously counts for something. You can't easily replicate that overnight. But it's not a, it's not a huge moat. Um, but it's okay, I think, because it's also not a huge multiple. So if I kind of look at the two together, it's not too bad. And in terms of forward growth, so look, revenue growth has been really strong over the past two years in this space. I think it's probably going to have a slower year in the next 12 months. Uh, you know, a lot of people who got into gaming will stick, but anyone who was keen to get in has kind of gotten in now. Um, yes, they'll keep upgrading their equipment, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to normalize. We can't expect the same growth we've seen in the past two years because of the pandemic. It's hard to say because of the operating margins, because of the supply chain issues. So, you know, what has been concerning is their their net profit hasn't moved in the same way as the profitability further up has. But again, on a PE of 18, you know, for a peg of one, which I always use as a sanity check, they've only got to get earnings up 18%. And if they just keep their gross margins where they are, they manage, if their revenue just grows by half of what it has over the past two years and it drops all the way to the bottom, then we're in kind of peg of one territory and and yeah as i said that that for me is okay yeah look i i looked at corsair gave it a cursory glance uh, i think it's, it's definitely an, in, an interesting and exciting business uh, i don't think it carries a, a heck of a lot of debt for the kind of profile and company that it is uh, and if you believe in that macro theme you know i i definitely think it's certainly quite interesting so thanks for putting that on on the radar uh, i don't own it but it, it certainly would be one that i would consider uh, for that particular macro theme uh, should I wish to to play it? Yeah, you know, it should do 15 to 20% a year in dollars. And uh, that, that that's all right. So Mo, we better move <laughs> on to we better move on to one of yours, actually, because, uh, you know, both of us love to love to talk about this stuff. And we're already uh, quite deep into this thing. And we've only done one company. So let's do one of yours quickly. Which one do you want to do yeah. first? So let's uh, you're talking very glibly around growth of like 15%. So I'm, I'm going to pick Moderna because, you know, like I said, it's a five been a five bagger and earnings have, have skyrocketed. Um, it's also because I don't have to introduce Moderna. You know, people know Moderna. It's one of the larger names in terms of the, the global vaccines that have gone out. Uh, and interestingly enough, I mean, the technology that underpins Moderna is the mRNA technology, which also happens to be the stock code for Moderna. So, you know, that's just a nice little quirk. I, I tend to like Moderna and, and kind of came onto my radar, uh, not because I have two of their jabs in my arm at this point in time. So yes, I am talking my biological book. Uh, but, you know, it was a stock that relatively new, uh, incorporated in around 2010. Uh, and at that point in time was really one of those R&D heavy stocks. You know, in fact, uh, many years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, it came under a fair amount of criticism because Moderna was not publishing any peer-reviewed 
um, uh, academic studies with regards to their technology and their research. And people were saying, is Moderna the next Theranos? Is it just smoke and mirrors? Uh, what has subsequently happened is that we now know that Moderna is a real company, a company of some consequence. Uh, bear in mind that it was relatively unknown until the COVID pandemic hit. Uh, and that has now made it a superstar. It's now a company with a market cap of around $185 billion. I mean, that is absolutely staggering. Uh, we spoke about it when it was around 100. It, it got to close on, like I said, 500. Uh, currently down at the time of this recording, 5% on this particular day, but still in the upper 400s. Earnings have just come through. They had an earnings release last week, uh, and it is now profitable. So it's a company that actually does make profit. Uh, Obviously, the vast majority of that profit is tied to its COVID vaccine, uh, as you would expect. And if you're looking at it, what, what I'm looking at is the revenue split. If you're looking at its sales, 50% of that coming out of the United States, the other 50% globally. So a relatively decent spread. You know, it's not too heavily weighted to any other country other than the U.S., which is obviously its, its primary market. Um, and what's been staggering is, is you, don't really, you don't really have year-on-year -year comparison numbers because it's just kind of turned profitable. So, you know, you've got the revenue numbers and so forth. Quarter-on-quarter, quarter, revenue growth was up over 125%. Now, you raise the interesting point around margins, uh, you know, because OPEX was also up around 100% on OPEX. But here's the beauty of the business is that the margins are absolutely gargantuan. You know, your operating margins are around 66%. So, yes, I do take into account that a business like this, in order to not be a one-trick pony, needs to throw hundreds of millions of dollars into R&D. So what does that look like? You know, what does the pipeline look like for, for Moderna? Why do I think it's even worth talking about is we're still only at the kind of infancy stage of using mRNA technology to treat diseases. And if you look at the pipeline of drugs in Moderna's, uh, if you want to call it the arrows in their quiver, you know, they've got stuff in there for looking at cancer vaccines, you know, very targeted type of treatment. Um, if you look at some of the other drugs that they're working on, you know, looking at localized cardiovascular treatment, uh, looking at, for example, you know, just general autoimmune diseases and how they treat that. And so when you look at that, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not a, uh, a PhD in biotech, but this is a biotech company that has now benefited from the windfall of having a, a very good COVID vaccine. It's resulted in massive cash flows coming through to the company. And I think that's going to give them additional ammo to throw way back into the R&D and start building the drugs for tomorrow for a whole bunch of other stuff that continues to plague us as, I guess, the human race. Um, it is not cheap. I mean, if, if you're looking at it on a price to sales or price to cash flow basis, you're looking at, you know, north of 20, 25, almost 30 times. So it has become a very expensive stock. So it really is dependent on them getting their brand out there. They're competing with larger players like a Pfizer, for example. But just, just to give you that kind of comparison, you know, if you look at it, Moderna now has a market cap, as I mentioned, of 185 billion. Pfizer, that is a company that got very famous for its, its, its famous blue pill, but has an entire suite of products that we all use, is currently trading at a market cap of around 270 billion. So a lot of, a lot of market cap really riding on what effectively at this point in time is just a single treatment, which is the COVID vaccine. We need to see how that plays out. I like the stock. I'm grumpy that I didn't ride the five-bagger all the way up again. But I do think if we see some downside materialize over the longer term, the underlying technology is something that I am excited about. 
uh, and I think is, is quite a compelling case and certainly worth discussion. I think part of why you like it is because Moderna and Mo, that first syllable is very close to your heart. And uh, I'm worried you'll need more than a little blue pill if that parabolic thing turns. So I know you didn't get all the bags, um, but you did get some. So well played on that trade. I'm terrified of anything that has a has a shape like that. Um, I mean, that valuation is very high. Is there a number at which you would wait for it to come back before you get in? Uh, you know, if you got something in your head, it's so hard with a parabolic curve to know where it's going to consolidate, right? It is. I think. I think now that we've got a set of earnings numbers come through, I think one of the other fundamental underpins to the investment thesis here for me is that, unfortunately. Uh, with COVID mutating, with Delta variant coming through and now the Lambda variant coming through, the way I see that trend on a, on a, on a macro basis playing out is the world is going to really migrate into having an annual booster shot. And every year, these companies are going to go and tweak some of something in the mix there to make sure that it's up to date with the most recent variants. And I think that's a trend that you could probably ride out for at least the next three years, unfortunately. I say unfortunately because it's terrible from a lifestyle perspective. But if you're a Moderna shareholder, that's a nice underpin. I would want to see the stock drop all the way back down to a 200 type of a handle before it starts looking compelling just on a valuation basis alone. Uh, once we see that, if we see that, you know, it's something that I'd maybe look at buying in again. And again, the lesson here, I mean, we discuss our mistakes on the show. The lesson for me here was I usually ride a stock when it looks quite full. I usually take half the position off and leave the other half riding as optionality. That's something I didn't do on this particular stock. So yeah, look, bygones are bygones. I still like the thesis. I just won't pay this price for it. I'm only smiling because that was the advice you gave me on Cecil, which I didn't take. And so I left a lot on the table. And then you didn't take your own advice on Moderna and you left a lot on the table. So really, Mo, what we should both be doing is listening to you. Uh, but uh, that, yeah, that, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, it's a stock that a lot of people are talking about at the moment. So I'm glad we've covered it. Um, I think we should probably move on in the interest of time. Uh, should, I do my, should I do my second one? Please do. So my second one is not a company that I'm buying because I have some concerns around not just the valuation, but just you know what the thing actually does in terms of whether or not I want to be invested in it long term. And that is Callaway Golf. Now again, much like gaming, I'm not much of a golfer. And my golf is awful. I did once try. And I have much respect for anyone who can call themselves a decent golfer. But Callaway is a big business. It's got a market cap of $5.9 billion. And whilst sport obviously suffered massively during the pandemic, golf has actually done very well. And it's because it's probably the most socially distanced sport possible, right? You just go and walk around outside and then you go and have a breakfast at halfway house and a, and a drink at the 19th and you go home. So it's very well socially distanced. And as a result, it's actually growing in popularity enormously. I mean, on the recent earnings call, management talked about massive demand for beginner sets and junior sets and women's sets. So there's a lot of growth in the game, which is great, obviously. I mean, I want to see people getting out there and playing sport and having fun. Uh, to be honest, I thought Callaway was actually quite a good short potential because if you have a look at the chart, it's kind of like this Twin Peaks, you know, not financial services regulation, but just a long-term share, share price that, you know, went up a long time ago, kind of had a horrible period and now it's back up there. But I'm glad I didn't short it because although it's down, it's actually down today, the earnings are strong. Uh, and they really, really are. So revenue for the second quarter was up 208%, you know, which is uh, not half bad. For the first half of the year, it's up 112%. So it's a record half. It's double since last year. Um, on revenue of $1.6 billion, the company has generated adjusted EBITDA of 292 So that's an EBITDA margin of 18%, which is not amazing, but it's not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. It's really not. Um, 
supply chain challenges are real. So they do mention in the earnings call that their factories are running at 100% capacity right now. And uh, they need to start building next year's range or producing next year's range. So that's that's a challenge for them. They're going to lose sales uh, for the remainder of this year because they simply can't keep producing this and then not have next year's range. So they're also dealing with shutdowns in, in Vietnam because of the Delta variant. And they think that's going to have a $55 million on uh, impact on, on second half revenues, which again is not the end of the world in the context of how big the business is. The business has done some interesting M&A. They bought a business called Top Golf, which operates golf entertainment venues in the US. I don't know if you would have you know, potentially seen any of that. I don't know if they're in Canada or not, but it was a stock-based deal. And it's a company that Callaway already had a stake in. So they're building a pretty, I think it's a pretty interesting business. Their full year EBITDA this year, they think will be somewhere between 345 and $360 million. They've got about $1.1 billion in debt on the balance sheet. So that's quite a, it's quite a bit. Um, and a market cap of around $6 billion, as I said at the start. So enterprise value is around $7 billion. It's an EBITDA multiple of nearly 20x, which for me is just way too high for a business like this. So hence, I'm not going to be buying at these levels. I think it's the old story where the market assumes that because golf had a great year, golf will now have a great year for the rest of time. But at the same time, it's a pretty cool story, and it's one that I wanted to highlight as a very unlikely winner of the pandemic uh, the share price is up about 50 percent since the start of 2020 so it's hardly moderna but uh, it's still an interesting one it, it's definitely interesting i mean again something that was not on my radar you know when i when i went and i had a look at the earnings charts on on Callaway over the much longer term, it, it looks like my golf game. You know, it's kind of all over the show, <laughs> and the same thing with the cash flows. So, you know, I, I going to your point in terms of buying, you know, golfing venues and so forth. I mean, this is something quite interesting up here in, in Canada is that you can't play golf half of the year. So there's a whole bunch of these kind of indoor virtual golf type setups, which I've not been to. Uh, but undoubtedly, if you're Callaway and you're selling the equipment, that doesn't really matter to you. Um, I think in short and in the interest of time, you know, it's an interesting stock. I think the volatility of the earnings, the fact that, you know, things like golf kind of come and go. You buy a beginner set. I bought a beginner set ages ago. You play a couple of holes. You realize that it's as patchy as Callaway's cash flows and earnings. And then you put it away and it gathers dust for the next five or 10 years. So, you know, it's one I'd probably steer away from. Uh, I also think at current valuations, if you just base it on, on, on kind of an earnings multiple, they are looking very, very rich. And so, you know, I think money probably better spent going to go and play the golf rather than buying this particular stock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Corsair is also really a manufacturing company, right? But you can buy that on an EBIT of 12, an EBITDA of 12. You can buy this on an EBITDA of like 20. And if you're going to ask me long term, would I bet on golf or gaming? Uh, that's not a hard one to answer. So, you know, that's how I like to think about these decisions. And uh Mo, I think we better move on then to your second stock. I'm having a lot of fun with this. In the interest of time, I'll, I'll keep it relatively brief, which which might be doing a bit of a disservice to to the stock. So, I mean, we, we, we move away from kind of golfing and gaming to another healthcare stock. It's, it's McKesson. Uh, and where Moderna is, you know, a very new company, McKesson's actually one of the oldest operating companies in the United States. It was incorporated in 1833. So, you know, no boomer jokes allowed here, but this is what you would call a boomer stock. 
the other reason is that it's not a growth stock. It's actually a, a value stock, has been for quite some time. And what do they do? So, you know, McKesson is one of the largest distributors of medical supplies and medical technology in the United States. They manage a lot of the back-end logistics of getting pharmaceuticals to the different companies. So they, they procure it from the likes of a Pfizer, you know, and, and so forth. And then they would act as the middleman and distribute it through to pharmacies and retail operations. And the same thing with regards to other medical technology products. So it's the middleman. It's a stock that is non-trivial. So it's got around a $30 billion market cap. Uh, and so that it's, it's, it's much larger than, I guess, both of the gaming stocks that we had discussed there. If you look at the overall business, uh, like I say, you know, they've, they've had a bit of a tough time initially, but the stock's done phenomenally well. They currently own around 4,000 pharmacies called HealthMart in the US, uh, and they also offer a lot of care management tools. So it's not been a Moderna type of stock story, but it has been one that has delivered on consistent earnings growth that's come through. They've also had a decent share repurchase program coming through, which is what you tend to see with a lot of these stocks as well, is that if the cash flows are strong, they feel that they can actually return some of that to shareholders. You know, that's something that, that, that I quite like. And the other nice thing is that McKesson delivers a dividend. So it gives you a nice dividend underpinned to the portfolio. It's not a very generous and hell, like it's not a four or five a percent of dividend. It's in the region of around one and a half to two percent. But that's a nice long-term underpin to the portfolio. So that's what I'm saying. You know, I like McKesson. It's got quite pricey. It went up to around the 200-odd mark uh, not too long ago. And it's now subsequently come off, post those results. It's come off and it's around 195. Do I think it's done here? No, not necessarily. And if I think we see a little bit more downside heading back into around the 180s, would definitely be something that I'd like to have. I have owned it in the past. I've sold it again, uh, you know, got what I thought was too expensive. The earnings have come through, did disappoint the market a little bit, so it was down on the earnings. And I would look at any further downside from here as potentially an opportunity to start looking at the stock again. There are some opioid issues. There was some legal action that they did have in the most recent results where they made a provision for that, and they are on the verge of settling those. And I think once some of those clouds dissipate, once some of those clouds disappear, it's certainly something that I think is compelling as a slightly more stable underpin to the portfolio. And Mo, what sort of valuation multiple are we trading on with that at the moment, sort of on a PE basis or EBITDA, whichever one you've got? Last year, they lost money. So it didn't have a, it doesn't have a full year PE. But if I look at it on my fast graphs on a blended basis, it's yeah low double digit, 10 to 15 PE, which for me is quite compelling and quite attractive. And Mo, this is a wholesaler. Margins in that space are often a whole lot lower than uh, than on the retail side. I mean, in South Africa, it's interesting because the business inside clicks that looks a little bit like that is UPD. That's the, the big wholesaler. And another thing that people might not know just anecdotally is that independent pharmacies are still huge in South Africa. Everyone just thinks it's clicks and disc game and then, you know, the pharmacy in your local retailer. In reality, independent pharmacies still have massive market share. And that's why these wholesalers in South Africa actually do quite well. It's because they need to supply this fragmented base of independent pharmacies. And it looks as though the competition commission is is quite intent on keeping it that way. I mean, Discam has been trying to do a deal uh, since I think it's December that is just kind of, I mean, I, I, I may have missed it, but I haven't seen it go through. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting space. The margins are thin, but uh, the stuff does kind of just carry on being relevant every year. And as you say, a bit of a dividend stock um, for those who want to take a view on 
on healthcare, I guess. Yeah, and, and also bear in mind that in the US, there are basically two very large players that occupy the space. One of them is McKesson, the other is Amerisource Virgin, which is, is, is quite large as well, you know, and a similar kind of investment case. Why I like looking at these stocks is I like the longer term trend of them. And as they get expensive, you know, I think it's stuff that you've got to kind of rotate out of the portfolio. But when it gets back down to levels that look attractive, Obviously, relative to its sector, relative to the fact that, yes, its margins are lower and so forth, you'd want to be getting back into these stocks. And that's what I think, you know, this this McKesson certainly looks like right now. It's not a screaming buy, but it's one that remains on my radar. And it's one that I like to kind of dip in and out of as I see the market either get ahead of itself, either to the upside or to the downside. One thing I didn't mention, actually, is, is again, again, we're kind of out of time, is McKesson's one problem that it has is that it's very heavily leveraged so they've geared up the balance sheet quite a bit returning that money to shareholders you know your div yield is still protected it's not an expensive stock but the balance sheet health is not it's not great for like like a value stock if you know what i'm saying the earnings the earnings numbers are there and they're solid the balance sheet health has deteriorated a little bit so now we've had a gaming stock we've had a sports stock We've had a boomer stock and we've had a stock that I think might go boom as soon as that parabolic increase uh, comes back down to earth. So I think that's been a great show. We're definitely out of time and it's been really fun to do this kind of, you know, discuss four stocks. I would definitely invite our listeners to let us know, you know, what you think of this. So Mo and I want to do more of this kind of stuff and, and, and we'll announce those plans in weeks to come. But um, yeah, let us let us know what you think and, and which of these you like, which of these you wouldn't buy. Uh, the only one certainly that I'm buying is Corsair at the moment. Uh, Mo's going to maybe dip his toes in one or two. It's, uh, it's been a great show, Mo, and I look forward to chatting again next week. Thanks, Ghost. Appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners. Remember, go out there, give us a great rating. It's been fantastic. And we'll chat to you again, same time, same place, next week. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.